to get things started this morning, I'm going to share with you an idea here that is, at first it's going to sound a little bit strange, but I think you'll be able to track with what I'm doing here. Here's sort of the sentence I want you to consider. There's actually a lot of reasons why a person would decide to not waste time reading the Bible. Okay? I'm not recommending these. I'm just telling you there's a lot of reasons why a person might decide reading the Bible is a waste of time. For one thing, the Bible's really old. And typically in our culture, things that are old are out of touch. Like how can something that old have anything to say to me today, right? But also the Bible's pretty hard to read. A lot of big words in the Bible. There's a lot of weird stories in the Bible. You read the Bible and you think, what is going on here? It's a lot easier to just watch another Bible project video than to actually read the Bible, right? Or scroll YouTube or go on Instagram. But also, the Bible talks about some pretty controversial things. It talks about heaven and hell. It talks about predestination. The Bible talks about human sexuality. Sometimes reading the Bible makes me have to deal with things that are controversial, And the Bible's been used to justify some pretty terrible things. Chattel slavery, apartheid, the Crusades, okay? Not to mention Kirk Cameron movies, all right? And and the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, all right? There's a lot of weird stuff. Now, I notice I said the Bible's been used to justify some terrible things. And lastly... You're busy, right? I mean, you got a lot to do. You, I mean, you're important, right? You're a big deal in Japan or somewhere, right? You got a lot going on. So why would you spend time reading the Bible, okay? But there's one reason to read the Bible that's so profound and so significant that it would make all of those reasons combined, and definitely any one of them as an individual reason, feel like a feather that's just going to float away. And that reason is this. Jesus taught that the entire Bible is about him. He taught that the entire Bible is about him. From Genesis to Revelation Jesus said on more than one occasion, and I'm going to show them to you, he said on more than one occasion, this entire book is about one theme, and that theme is me. Amazing claim. All, that, all those genres, poetry, wisdom literature, letters, stories of ancient people at ancient times, written by a bunch of different authors at different points in human history, sometimes with hundreds of years between books, and Jesus said somehow, in some astounding way, the whole Bible is unified around a story that points to him. And I want to preach a whole sermon about that this morning. It's going to take a whole sermon to explain that. And the reason I think it's worth preaching a whole sermon is that is often the difference between people who can't stand the Bible and people who can't stop reading it. That's the difference. And I want you to be people who cannot stop reading it. 
you love it so much. Amen? That's what we're doing as a church. We are going to become people who are Bible hogs. All right? Bible hogs. Why would we do that? Because the whole Bible is about Jesus. So will you turn to Matthew 5? We'll start there. Now, last Sunday, we started a new series here that we're calling What the Son of God Said. And at the end of my message last week, I gave you just a little hors d'oeuvre, a little morsel of where we're headed this morning. This morning, the title of the sermon is What the Son of God Said About the Word of God. And I told you last Sunday, the reason we, River West Church, the reason we have a high view of Scripture is because we got that view from Jesus. We got that view from Jesus. Ultimately, our trust as the church in the Bible stems from our trust in King Jesus, the crucified, risen, exalted Savior. He's our Lord. He's our teacher. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible first. I trust the Bible because I trust Jesus first. I love Jesus, and I've chosen to follow him, and I, and I believe what he says. And if Jesus says that the Bible is good, and if Jesus says that the Bible is authoritative, and if Jesus says that you can trust the Bible and build your whole foundation on the Bible, then I choose to build my life on the Bible because that's what Jesus said. So how highly did Christ regard Scripture? Let's find out. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. One of the longest recorded sermons in the New Testament of Jesus, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus said about the Bible. This is astounding. He said, verse 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, or the prophets, by the way, just put your finger right there in your Bible, see that law and prophets? That's the way the Jewish people referred to the whole Old Testament. That's like the whole Old Testament. That word law there is Torah, it's the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then prophets was just shorthand for all of the rest of the Old Testament Bible writers. Sometimes they would add the word Psalms to that, but that's like, a, that's like a summary of the whole Old Testament. Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the Old Testament. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. By the way, that little iota and dot, iota just means the smallest Word and it's the smallest uh, letter in the Greek alphabet. Jesus was thinking of a small Hebrew word, yod. Jesus read from a Greek translation, but he's describing the smallest letter. And then that little word dot refers to just a tiny little stroke of the pen in Hebrew that would, if you, there were certain letters that if you put one little stroke on them, it would completely change the meaning of the word. And Jesus is saying, Until heaven and earth pass away, not even the tiniest little stroke of the pen will will become null or void. He said, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them 
will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Astounding paragraph. It's not a surprise that that paragraph sits at the beginning of one of the longest sermons ever recorded, Sermon on the Mount. You know it, chapters five, this goes all the way to chapter seven. There's a reason why Jesus decides to say all of that near the beginning, right? Well, what I want to do is I want to preach a whole sermon on that first sentence. We look again at verse 17. My whole sermon is about this sentence. Do not think that I have come to get rid of the Old Testament. I haven't come to get rid of it. I've come to fulfill it. Look, you got to try to imagine what it would have been like to be there in a crowd full of devout Jews hearing this statement for the first time. Hearing Jesus say, your sacred scriptures, your sacred text, the Psalms, Moses, all of those amazing texts that you cherish, the whole thing is about me. The whole thing is about me. The whole story. Every single part of it. I've come. You want to know why I've come? I've come to fulfill it. What's the, who's the hero of this story? What's the climax of the narrative? Jesus says, you're looking at him. <laughs> Imagine what that would have been like for those devout Jews there that day. Okay? We've invented padded rooms for people who say things like this. This is a big claim. And the thing about it, what I want to say to you this morning is, this is not just a big claim about Jesus. Jesus is actually making an astounding claim about the Bible, about the Bible in that verse. And in order to get it, we need to understand what he means by this word fulfilled. Do you see it there? I've not come to abolish the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill it. What does that even mean? How does Jesus fulfill the Old Testament? Well, at least four things. I'm going to actually put a slide up to show you this. You don't have to write this down. This is not even really the point. This is not like the points of my sermon. I just need you to get this word fulfill really quickly, and then I'm going to tell you what it means about the Bible. So this is, I think, a pretty good summary of how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, okay? The first one's going to be really obvious to you. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And that one you probably recognize. There's all of these specific predictions you read through the Old Testament. There's all these places that predict who the Messiah was, who he would be. And Jesus, if you go and then read the the life of Christ, he fulfills every single one of those completely. Go read Isaiah 53 and the description of the suffering Messiah servant, and Jesus fulfills it. Go read Psalm 22 today. The whole psalm is a prediction of the suffering of the Messiah on the cross. Jesus fulfilled it. There's a place in Isaiah where Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And Jesus fulfilled that. But also, Jesus fulfilled the requirement of the law. 
He perfectly obeyed the entire Mosaic law. Perfectly. He obeyed it. And therefore, he fulfilled it. And not only did he perfectly obey the law, he also took on all of the penalties against God's sinful people who had failed to obey the law. He obeyed it perfectly, and then he went to the cross and took the penalty that God had prescribed for those who had failed to do it. And that's why, folks, in Romans, that's why in our study of Romans, we know no longer does the church seek righteousness through obeying the old covenant law. We find our righteousness now in Christ Jesus, who is the one who obeyed the law on our behalf, and we put our faith in him. So he fulfilled the prophecies. He, he fulfilled the requirements. Jesus fulfilled the entire sacrificial system. When Jesus died, suffered, and was crucified, he was the final ultimate fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system. All of those places in the Old Testament that describe why to sacrifice a dove versus a sheep or a lamb. And you read it and you think, what's happening here? The whole thing is this story that's building with momentum towards a moment when finally God would offer the true and final sacrifice for human sin. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever wondered? It's really interesting how right away the Christians, the Jewish Christians who came to realize Christ was their Messiah right there after the resurrection, have you ever noticed? They immediately stopped going to the temple to offer sacrifices. Have you ever thought about that? Why would they do that? They immediately figured out, wait a minute, we don't have to do, we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore because Jesus finally died the full, complete death for human sin. Amen. Hallelujah. And then here's the one that I, I, I think is the most significant, but it might be the one you're, you're, you're most unaccustomed to. Jesus fulfilled the deepest meaning of the story. There's a unified story to the Bible. And Jesus viewed himself as the interpretive key. I fulfilled the whole thing. The final meaning. The whole narrative arc. You're reading the Old Testament and you're reading how the story builds with momentum. Jesus is saying, the whole thing is moving towards me. I am the deepest, fullest meaning. Have you ever read the Old Testament and thought, you know, why is it that someone like David would on the one hand be described as a man after God's heart. But then you read the story of David and and you think, but man, this guy was like really sinful. You ever notice that? Have you ever wondered, like, are we supposed to like imitate David? And the answer to that is what? Tell me what the answer to that is. No, okay. Thank you. This is good Bible theology. Is David being set up as a moral example for me how to live my life? Absolutely not. On the one hand, yes, David was a man after God's own heart, but David was 
deeply flawed. And so was Abraham, and so was Moses, and so was Sarah. All of these Old Testament characters trying their hardest to follow God, but failing miserably. Why? And the story is the story builds. It gets worse and worse and worse until the hero of the story shows up. And he fulfills the whole thing. Every story finds its meaning in Christ. I love this. I love it. I love how Andrew Wilson says it. He wrote a book. He said this. He said, Jesus is the new Adam who passed his garden test by submitting to the will of the Father. He crushed the snake and gave life to the dead rather than death to the living. Jesus is the new Eve, the ancestor of all new life, through whom the promised rescue finally comes about. Jesus is the new Abel, whose blood announces that family feuds, murder, and death are on the way out, and that subsequent generations will be acquitted rather than condemned. Jesus is the new Enoch, who knows God and walks with him. And is, not the subject, and is not subject to the power of the grave. Jesus is the new Noah who finds favor in the eyes of the Lord and in whom humans are rescued from the judgment they deserve. Jesus is the new Abraham who trusts God, leaves his homeland to start a new nation and ends up inheriting the world with its galaxy of descendants. Jesus is the new Isaac, the miraculous child offered as a sacrifice out of obedience to God and rescued from death where all seemed lost. Jesus is the new Jacob who saw heaven opened, received the promises, wrestled with God, and commissioned 12 guys to bless the nations. Jesus is the Lion of Judah, praised by his brothers and victorious over his enemies. Jesus is the new Joseph, the beloved son, who sold for the price of a slave, abandoned and left for dead but who remains faithful and then gets lifted up to the right hand of the king of the world. Jesus is what the story is all about. And folks, that was just the book of Genesis. That was just the book of Genesis. Jesus is the whole story. And you know what this means? It means a person, you can read the Bible, you can study the Bible, A person could even get up and teach the Bible and they could completely miss the whole point. You could miss the whole point. You could read the Old Testament and not be looking for Christ there. And if you're reading the Old Testament but you're not looking for Christ, you could miss the whole point. I've heard Bible teachers teach through books of the Old Testament and use those books to make conclusions about American politics. But the Old Testament is not about American politics. The Old Testament is about Jesus. Amen? So you can read the Bible, study the Bible. A person could even teach the Bible and completely miss the point. But here's something else I want to point out, and this is really important. This is where I get to, this is what we need to conclude about the Bible. If the entire Old Testament gets fulfilled, then the entire Old Testament is true. Right? If the entire Old Testament, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. Well, wait a minute. 
If the entire Old Testament gets fulfilled, that means the entire Old Testament is true. That's why Jesus says, don't set it aside. Because a person could have heard Jesus and said, well, that makes the Old Testament obsolete, but it's not obsolete. I can't understand Jesus without the Old Testament. I need to read the Old Testament. I need to study the Old Testament. I need to read it as much as I possibly can, but I need to read it looking for Christ. And as long as I'm looking for Christ, the Old Testament will start to click and make some sense. But Jesus is saying, the fact that it gets fulfilled tells me the whole time, the whole thing was true. It is the the true worldview that explains reality. The Torah is confirmed as true because it gets fulfilled. The Psalms are all true because they get fulfilled. The whole narrative arc is shown to be true because it gets fulfilled. How do we know it's true? Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to abolish this. I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill it. But can I point out something else? If the entire Bible points points to Jesus, that means the Bible's not about me. If the whole Bible points to Jesus, then that must mean the Bible's not really about me. And it's not really about you either. I'm not the center of the Bible. Jesus is, right? He's the center of the story. And that's a really important thing to remember. Because sometimes when we're reading the Bible, it's really easy to go quickly, how how is this about me, (laughs) right? You read a verse somewhere and you go, this must immediately apply to me. But I should first ask, how does this tell me about Jesus before it applies to me, right? So important to remember. I do a lot of weddings. And um, I just did a wedding a couple Sundays ago. And one of the things that I've learned to do when I perform a wedding, I always communicate with the photographer before the ceremony starts. And, and here's what I say. Listen, right before the couple kisses, right when I say, you may kiss your bride, I say to the photographer and I say to the couple, can we have like a two second pause because I want to get out of the picture, okay? Because there is nothing more awkward than your wedding photo and you're kissing and there's some guy back there, you know, or like whatever the face a pastor might be making in that moment, okay? And at this last wedding, when I finished, I said, you may kiss your bride. And I I stepped and I was over here. There were actually three photographers and one of them was looking right at the bride. And I was back there like trying to figure out where to hide. I, I like kneeled down to get behind the bride because I'm not the center of that moment, right? I'm not the center of that moment. And I'm also not the center of the Bible, Now, does the Bible eventually say things that are true for me? Absolutely. But I only get to that truth after I take anything the Bible's teaching. How does this help me understand the gospel? And now, how do I apply that to my life? How do I apply that to my life? And the thing is, when you read the Bible like that, the Bible will come to life for you. Your heart will erupt. Turn in your Bible. I want to show you another place where Jesus taught this. Go to Luke. Go to the last chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 24. 
Luke 24 is a really, really important passage. And it's the, it's the moment when the arisen Christ starts appearing to his disciples. And you're going to remember this story. Jesus shows up. And he comes alongside two of his disciples who are on their way to a town called Emmaus. Okay, this story is very familiar. And what happens in this story is when Jesus, he sort of saddles up next to them. This is Sunday. It's the first day of the week. He's now the risen Christ. And he wants to reveal himself as the risen Lord Jesus to his disciples. But when he first saddles up next to them, they don't recognize him. The Bible says they're 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 eyes were blinded, and the Bible even says their hearts were cold. Their hearts were cold. So what does Jesus do? Now, here's what I would do in that moment. I would do something absolutely awesome, okay? I would like, I would like levitate up into the air like Thor, you know, take an axe, get lightning, and like, like get, well, I would do something to just blow them away with my amazingness. And Jesus does something completely different. He has a Bible study with them. He has a Bible study. We look at it, and I'm going to tell you why. Why would Jesus do this? Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 25. He said to them, they don't recognize him. And they've said, didn't you hear what happened? Didn't you hear what happened this past weekend in Jerusalem? And, and they tell the whole story. And Jesus is standing there saying, are you looking at me? Look at me. And he says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, there it is again, the law and the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's Matthew 7, 5, 17, right? What did Jesus do? He had a Bible study. What did he do in that Bible study? He took the entire Old Testament from Genesis all the way through all the prophets. And look what it says he did. He interpreted to them everything in the entire Old Testament concerning himself. This is incredible. I would give anything to be in that Bible study, folks. Who's your Bible study leader? Just Jesus, you know. Amazing. Can I come? Nope, it's a select group. There's three of us. <laughs> and look what happens. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, I love this sentence. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? And while he opened to us the scriptures, they were like, oh, I felt like my heart was on fire. Which is interesting because four verses later, their hearts were cold. Their hearts were cold. 
what happened? Someone opened the Bible and showed them how in the scriptures, Jesus Christ is the crucified and risen Savior. Have you ever been sitting in church and suddenly the scriptures are being explained and you just feel like your heart just catches on fire? Folks, that's what happens when the Bible is read with Christ as the center, right? That's the goal. That's the difference between a cold heart and a burning heart is Jesus Christ at the very center of everything that's being said. That's the difference. And that's why. So part of, the, part of what we're doing in this series is we're kind of giving away our core values. Because if you're new to the church and you're showing up and you're, and you're noticing like, wow, every week they always end up talking about Jesus. Right? There's a reason for that. <laughs> okay, The whole Bible's about Jesus. There's a reason why no matter where we're teaching from, we're going to eventually tell you about Jesus Christ and the gospel. And I want you to read the Bible. I want you to start reading the Old Testament. I want you to read through the whole Bible and find Jesus there, all right? Let's just become, let's just become absolute Bible hogs here, all right? I'm going to, I'm going to close by telling you one more thing, all right? And it's, it's sort of like, it's kind of like an exhortation, but I... I want you to know this sentence is a little, it's a little bit weird, but I want you to know that I'm, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. And the sentence is this, okay? Satan loves a dusty Bible. It's like, that's like his favorite thing is when your Bible's covered in dust. He loves it so much. He loves it more than barbecue chips. He loves it more than kittens. He take all of the favorite things. He loves a dusty Bible. And not only that, Satan is not threatened by a Christian whose Bible is dusty. He's not scared of that. That doesn't intimidate him. You say, well, I don't even know if I believe in Satan. Well, that's probably because your Bible's covered in dust. Because I promise you, if you're reading your Bible, you would know we have an enemy. We have an enemy. When I was in college, I had a friend who, um, he, was not a, he was not a Christian, and somebody gave him a Bible, and he, he refused to read it. He's a really neat guy. We hiked Jefferson together one time. I mean, this guy was a wonderful guy. His name was Nick. And he, um, he happened to get in a really terrible accident. He rolled his pickup truck, and when he rolled it, all the windows were down. So his pickup truck turned sideways. Now, luckily, he was fine. He walked away from the accident. He had his seatbelt on. But um, when, he, when his pickup truck rolled, it rolled. Everything inside of the cab of his truck flew out of the truck except for him. His lunchbox flew out. His lunchbox opened and his peanut butter and jelly sandwich slid across the road. It was like 30 feet away and there was like a, there were like tread marks, peanut butter tread marks, okay? And he's sitting there in the car looking at his peanut butter sandwich. He's telling me this whole story. And he, he looks down 
and the Bible is on the seat next to him and it's open. And he, and he said to me, Adam, what do you think that means? <laughs> and I was like, mm, well, let me pray about that for a couple of days, I'll get back to you. I think it means that Satan would love for that Bible to stay closed, but Jesus keeps telling you to open it. Open that Bible and read it. This week, I, I was reading through the book of 1 Timothy, and I, I want to show you what I read. I love this. This verse is like both scary, and, and, but it's so powerful. This is, this is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. You can go read it later, and then I'm going to read verse 6. Look at what Timothy says. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, to the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And I read that this week and I was like, whoa. The Spirit expressly says that there's going to come, there's, days are coming when people are going to give up on the faith. They're going to walk away from Christ. They're going to walk away from the church. And Timothy says in that passage, is really interesting if you read it, he, he basically says, this is, this is demonic. There's an attack. It's going to happen. And not only is there spiritual stuff that's going to happen, but there will be teachers that will be a part of this. There will be humans who will teach things that will cause people to turn their backs on faith, turn their backs on Christ, turn their backs on the church. And whether they, those teachers know it or not, they'll be working in conjunction with spiritual evil. And you, and you read that and you go, wow, that sounds really intense. But then you also kind of read it and you go, yeah, but it's sort of, I can tell that it's happening also. And then you go, well, how in the world are we going to stand? How can we get through this? Like, what's the solution? And Timothy says it, verse 6. This is the verse that I really want to commend to you. First, he says to Timothy, he says, first of all, I want you to know, you need to make sure that you teach this to your church. Warn your church about this. So he says, if you put these things before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. But then now what he says is he describes Timothy. And look at this description. Being constantly nourished in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you followed. And I just want to ask you, look at that phrase, being constantly nourished in the faith and on good doctrine. And I want to ask you, would you describe your life right now as someone who is constantly nourished in the words of the faith? Constantly. Like, is this where you go? Is this where you go to get nourishment? That word nourishment is really important. It's, like, it's almost like think of like drinking water and eating food. Imagine if I tried to live my life where I did all of my eating and drinking on one day and then I tried to survive the week, right? I'm just going to eat, 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 eat. I'm going to eat on Sunday and I'm going to drink on Sunday and then I'm just going to plow through and get to, get to Saturday night. How, how would that go? I don't I don't have to be a scientist or a doctor to tell you that that probably wouldn't go that well, right? Right? And I think that's what Timothy's saying. He's saying like, sisters and brothers, every day, 
feed on the word of God. Every day, open the scriptures. Go there, find life, find Christ. Parents, how are you going to raise your children in this world, in this culture, if you're not constantly being nourished in the words of faith? Like, how will you help them? You know, they did all these studies about children, whether or not children will grow up to read their Bible. Do you know what the number one factor is about whether or not children will grow up to read their Bible? Is did their parents read their Bible with them and in front of them? Kids who grow up seeing mom and dad constantly getting nourished in the Bible, they often grow up to be people who read the Bible, right? Read your Bible every day. Men, brothers in this church, how will you, how will you lead spiritually in your home if you're not constantly being nourished? How will you make good decisions in this world if you're not constantly being nourished? Maybe some of you are facing suffering right now, facing a hardship. How are you going to make it through that if you're not constantly being nourished in the words of faith? Amen? Amen? And so, how did Jesus view the scriptures? Was his view pretty high? I would say it was pretty high. It was pretty high. I love Jesus. And I know you do too. And because I love Jesus, I love his word. And because I love his word, I'm going to continue by God's grace to encourage you to love it as well. All right? Will you bow your heads with me and we'll pray and then we'll come to the table. Father, we want to pause here for just a moment. Before we do anything else in this service, before we sing, before we go to the table, before we pray, we want to just pause before you right now. And we want to give you our hearts in this moment, right now. Friend, I don't, I don't know where you came from in your world. I don't know what you're dealing with. Maybe you're dealing with something really stressful. Maybe you have a conflict. Maybe you have heartache. Maybe you're really worried about something. God loves you right now in this moment. And he's given you his word. The living word, the eternal Jesus Christ, the, the logos, the word of the Father, and the written word, the scriptures. This incredible treasure. And so, Father, we want to be people of the word. We want to go there for strength. We want to go there for nourishment. We want to go there for wisdom, Lord God. And most importantly, we want to go there to see Christ, Christ crucified and Christ risen. And so thank you for this precious gift, we pray. And we pray together in Jesus' name, amen, amen.